Father, we live in a world where there are so many competing voices speaking into our lives. So much uncertainty and so much concern. We have our individual lives and we think about the world in which we're in. And Father, we ask now this morning that as we look at your word together, which is your eternal word, which is your current word to us, that you will speak into our hearts and bring light and bring hope and bring reassurance. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So how do you feel when you watch the news? When you read about what's going on in the world, how does that make you feel? Turn on the news at night and you watch about a report about 67 million refugees across the world. How does that make you feel? How do you feel when you hear people talking about the uncertainties about the global economy? How does it make you feel when you see the rise of populism, when you see movements of the far right rising in Europe? again? How does it make you feel when you hear reports of rising tensions with Russia or between the United States and China? How does that make you feel? I have to say, I don't think I can remember a time in my lifetime when so many things seemed to be coming together that were so disturbing. Politics, economics, military expansion, saber-rattling, uncertainties of all kinds. I cannot in my lifetime remember a time when there was so much unease around. It appears as if we are moving into an era of anxiety across the world. So I have a question. What does the world need most at this time, do you think? What is our greatest need in the world? Is it for leaders who will lead with integrity, who are concerned about the the people who are powerless, who will rule with justice? Is it people who will love peace rather than war, who are more concerned with the welfare of fellow human beings than they are about personal aggrandizement? or about national expansion or national glory? Is it there will be more experts who will come along who will discover answers to the great needs that we have physically and with the planet? Is that our greatest need? What is it that we need most in this age, I suspect that the thing that most of us would like most is reassurance, isn't it? Reassurance from somewhere that round the corner will get back to normal. That if not this year, then next year, we will turn the corner and everything will be all right. A word 
of reassurance that however unsettling the times are at the moment, however disturbed we are by the news, that the day's coming when it will be better again for us. I read an article by a very respected journalist not very long ago. And he said in this article, in a quality newspaper, he said, you know, there's a lot of bad news around and there's always been a lot of bad news around. It's always possible and has always been possible through history to find examples of war and suffering and injustice and so on. But he said, the thing is, everything's getting better. You have less chance of dying a violent death than in the Stone Age. Did you know that? Levels of poverty over the centuries have been falling. Prosperity has been increasing. Life expectancy has been growing. Women have been finding greater levels of freedom across the world over the centuries. Education has been growing. Literacy is growing. The world is getting better. So he said, turn off the news and turn on history. Believe that things will get better for the excellent reason that they have always done so. Maybe that's what we need to hear. Just look at history. It's going to get better. Because it always does. What do you think Christians should say? What is our answer to what is the greatest need in the world? Well, I think we might want to affirm some of those things I've mentioned. We might want to say we need better leaders or more good ones. We might want to say we'd love to see the scientists discover some way of dealing with the superbugs that antibiotics currently can't deal with. But as followers of Jesus Christ, I hope we would want to say that the greatest need in our world is spiritual. And the greatest need that people have is for Jesus Christ. Isn't that what we want to say? What the world needs most is Jesus Christ because at the heart of our problem is a spiritual issue that needs dealing with and only Jesus can deal with that. What the world needs most is Jesus. Isn't that what we believe? Are there any amens out there? I mean, does anybody believe that? That's what we believe, isn't it? The answer that people need to find is found in Jesus Christ. And that's so wonderful, isn't it? That's so inspiring. It's so spiritual. It has a level of spiritual depth to it. People need Jesus. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? Jesus, have you seen the mess in the world? I, I mean, have you contemplated a visit to the White House recently? 
Have you thought about turning up in Syria? The world's in such a mess, Jesus. They need you. Jesus, would you, you please do something? Is, is, is that what it means? I've sometimes thought that some of our most pious and some of our most spiritual expressions have this amazing capacity to leave us out of it. What the world needs is Jesus. Uh, Jesus, please do something. I, I, that doesn't affect me, does it? What does it mean to say that the world needs Jesus? I want you to turn to this passage in Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to move into the first verse of chapter 10 as well. Here is this incident in the life of Jesus where Jesus has been going around and he's been healing and he's been preaching. And he looks out onto his world and he sees his world, the condition of the people around him in his nation. I want you to notice what he sees in verse 36. He sees the people. Do you notice that? It's very easy to miss it. He sees the crowd. He sees the people. So often people see problems and issues to be dealt with. Jesus always sees people. And he sees their condition in verse 36, harassed and dejected and confused. And then he sees the reason for their condition. Because, he says in verse 36, or it says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. Like sheep without a shepherd. The function of leaders was to lead God's people in the way of goodness and flourishing and spiritual health, to deal with those who were suffering, to be compassionate to those who were weak, to lead them into good ways. And their leaders had failed them and left the people confused and harassed. And Jesus' heart goes out to them because they have leaders who are more concerned with their ideology than they are with people. People, leaders who are more concerned with national glory than they are with the people. Leaders who were concerned with their reputations and their power and leaders who were hypocrites they had this amazing capacity to tell people what to do and rise up to these great standards of virtue and religious observance and national obedience. But a different set of rules applied for them. Jesus sees all this. And do you notice his response is he cares Jesus doesn't just see, he cares. Verse 36 talks about Jesus' compassion. His heart goes out to them. He's not indifferent. Tell me, what do you think Jesus would see if he were looked at at our world? What do you think he would see? Well, what do you see? Isn't it so remarkably similar, where we have leaders who are more concerned with their ideologies, political, military, national prestige and glory than they are about people. 
Leaders who will talk about peace and prosperity and flourishing, but it always seems to sacrifice human lives, doesn't it? And it's more often than not the weak and the helpless who paid the biggest price. Leaders who talk about the economy as if it's some kind of machine rather than the lives of human beings. And we must sacrifice for the sake of a better world. And surprise, surprise, who pays the biggest sacrifice? It's often the people with the least influence and the least power. Whereas those who are calling the shots, who set the standards, who talk about austerity, are the very people who manage to evade that. Isn't that how it works in our world? What Jesus sees, because he still sees, is what he saw then. And Jesus does still see, and those in politics need to be reminded that he still sees, and he still cares. But you notice that Jesus acts. He does something. He not only sees, he not only cares, but he acts. Isn't that interesting? Because sometimes we see, and it disturbs us, and so we're moved we become very emotional about some things, but then we don't do anything. But Jesus isn't like that. He acts. Let's have a look at what he does. In verse 37, he speaks to his disciples, his followers, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then he says two things to them, or rather two things happen. first thing he says to them is to pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, that is, pray to God. It's His harvest. Pray to Him about the harvest that He will send out divinely authorized, commissioned, equipped people who will go out into this mess and do something. Pray. And then in chapter 10 and verse 1, I love this. Have a look at it. He sends his disciples, to do what he's been doing. Do you get that? Isn't that cool? There's not a lot that's cool this morning, but anyway. I just love that, and it's so disturbing and exciting and exhilarating and frightening. He says to his disciples, look at the harvest, so pray that the Lord of the harvest will send people, and then he sends his disciples. Some of you are getting nervous, aren't you? Because you can see where this is going. Because this isn't just about then, is it? There's a principle at work here. What the world needs is Jesus. And what do we see here? Jesus looks out on the harvest field and says it needs workers. Guys, get out there. just in case you haven't got it, just in case you just missed it, you'd nod it off for a moment, let me kind of spell it out. Do you remember Jesus on the cross? At the very end, as he finishes his ministry, as he dies, he says, it's finished. That is, everything that Jesus has come to do on this earth is over. He's completed the task that he had taken on that task of his life and then his death. 
Jesus' ministry, in a sense, on earth physically has finished until the day when he returns. But the story hasn't finished. It continues. How does the story of Jesus continue, of the gospel? Through us. That's how it continues. And so Jesus commissions his people to go out. He pours out his Spirit on them. The day of Pentecost is about the pouring out of the Spirit, authorizing his people and the people who will follow and all the people who will follow. Holy Spirit is given to authorize and commission people to continue the story, to go out and do. And so what this means is this. When we say the world needs Jesus, what we're really saying is the world needs us. That's what we're saying. Because we are the divinely equipped, commissioned, authorized representatives of Jesus who are to go out in his name, to be the people that God has called us to be. Not to become something we're not, but to be who we are. The church needs to be the church. We need to be the people Jesus has commissioned and called us to be. That's what the world needs most of all. And just as Jesus sent out those 12 in Matthew chapter 10, that parallels our position if you're a follower of Jesus, then you're part of the people of God. You're part of the church, and the church is divinely commissioned by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives, individually and corporately, to be the church. The world needs Jesus, which means the world needs us. Some of you may be thinking, I, I get the bit about the mess in the world, and frankly, some of us, I think, have been very anxious about what's going on. I get the bit that Jesus is the answer. I, I, I just don't get that this is an adequate response. How is the church of Jesus Christ the answer to the problems of the world? How are we here in Willoughby the answer to the question, what does Willoughby need most? How does that Work. I mean, just look around at each other. I mean, some of you are very impressive. Um, some of you sitting next to somebody, you might think, how does this work? Well, we need to follow the parallels of what happens here. I want you to see what Jesus is doing, which is what we're called to do in a similar kind of way, because that's what the disciples do. And, and there are three things here. First of all, Jesus brings a message of hope. Verse 35, Jesus went through the towns and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the, the good news of the kingdom. Jesus is announcing a message of good news. It's the message of the kingdom, which is not, hey, I've got a different way of doing life. If you do this, 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 and this, then the world will become a better place. The people of his time, like the people of our time, have heard loads of messages like that. If we sacrifice more economically, then the world will be better. If we sacrifice ourselves in war, we'll produce a better world. If we vote in this ideology or that ideology and follow that, the world will get better. 
But the kingdom isn't about doing things differently. It's not some new strategy to solve the problems of life. It's about a change of leadership. It's about Jesus Christ claiming leadership of a new era, of a new kingdom, and saying, come on, be part of this. And that's the message that's been entrusted to us as well. Our message is there is a new leader. And we invite you to come and follow him because he's bringing in a new kingdom. Follow him. And it's the message of hope. So a message of hope. And then he demonstrates the reality of that kingdom. So many leaders make great promises, don't they? They did in the first century. They made wonderful promises about the future and then somehow it never really worked. And the prices seemed quite high for some people. Notice what Jesus does. He goes around healing every disease and sickness. Jesus is demonstrating the reality of this kingdom. It touches people's lives. There's an authenticity about it. They're getting a taste of the fact that this kingdom is different. And people need to get that from us as well, that God is present amongst us, at work amongst us. Does that mean we're going to heal everybody? No. But it does mean that our lives are to touch other people's lives, and especially as they come into contact with us as the community of followers of Jesus, that lives will be changed because they've encountered us. A message a reality, and a compassion Jesus cares about people. Christianity isn't just an ideology. It isn't just a religion. It's about a compassion for people. You see that supremely demonstrated in Jesus. He gives His life for people. And something of that level of compassion, of care, needs to be demonstrated by us. A message of hope, a demonstration of authenticity, and compassion. So let's pull all this together. Where does that leave us? Where do we go from here? I want you to imagine you've got a friend who's a farmer and you've not seen them for many years and... You've heard that they've been having a tough time because the weather's been really bad. But you know that this man has worked away with his wife for many, many years. And he invites you over one day and he's, you're just awestruck by what you see. Um, and he takes you out into his farm and in the farm, which is huge, there's a small hill. And he takes you up the hill and he says, I want you to look, and you look, and as far as the eye can see, the fields are full of corn. It's the most amazing sight. And you're so pleased for your friend because you know that they've struggled so much with this farm. And here it seems all the efforts have paid off, finally. And, and you turn to your friend, and you're about to say, you must be so delighted with this after all these years. But your friend's shoulders are shaking and you realize he's sobbing 
And there are tears running down his face. He said, why are you crying? This is an amazing harvest that you have. And he said, it is. It's the culmination of all that I've worked for and my family have worked for over these years. But I simply don't have enough workers to bring in the harvest. Most of what you see will die in the fields. When Jesus looks out at the harvest, he sees a harvest that is vast. And he says, the harvest is vast, but the workers are few. We need to feel that. This is the Lord's harvest, God's harvest. It's the harvest of Jesus Christ. It's the harvest of men and women and children who are lost. And Jesus feels that. He has compassion. And we need to feel that too. And when we do that, well, there are two indicators that we are beginning to feel that. Number one, we will pray. See, prayer shows us where our heart is. Prayer is an indicator of what's important to us. And when we pray, we show our dependence on God. Lord, I can't do this without you. Lord, I need you. Lord, I'm concerned about your harvest. I'm concerned about Willoughby. I'm concerned about my friends and my neighbors and my family. But I recognize that the task is too big for us. We cannot reach Willoughby on our own. We need more laborers, so pray that the Lord of the harvest will send workers into the field to go into the harvest. We need to pray. And then we just need to do it. To do it. For us to be what God has called us to be. We're not being asked to do something that we're not. We've been equipped by the presence of the Spirit. We've been called. We've been commissioned And we're to go and do it. To be what we are as the church. To be his representatives in the place where we work, in our community, amongst our friends, amongst our family. To go and do it. To parallel what Jesus did. A message of hope. A reality. Demonstrated in our lives. And a compassion for people. Let me finish with this. What does Willoughby need most? Needs us. Jesus said to his his followers, you are the light of the world. We are light in Willoughby. Us. Unprepossessing as we may look sometimes. Weak as we may feel. We are the light in Willoughby. We are the hope for Willoughby. With all those others around who are followers of Jesus Christ. Pray. Do it. The church needs to be the church. That's what the world needs. Needs us. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that you've poured out your Spirit on us as your people. And Father, we ask this morning that you will raise our hearts. Raise our hearts with that sense of the reality of what you've done, of the great privilege that we have of being your people. That extraordinary as it sounds, we are light in Willoughby. We are hope in Willoughby. Your church is the light of the world. Your people are the hope for the world. That is the task you have authorized us to do. And these are the people that you've commissioned us to be. Father, we're just so amazed. But that's who we are. So, Father, please lift our hearts to see something more of that, of the glory of what it means to be part of the church of Jesus Christ. And Father, may we live out our lives individually and as a community in confidence and in the power of your Spirit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.